You are now tuned in to the Storm Tracker Podcast. All right, family, it's the Storm Tracker Podcast. I'm Marcus Benjamin here with Frank Tucker, and we are representing, of course, for CanesCounty.com, part of the Rivals Network. Make sure you follow us on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as well as this YouTube channel live from Canes County. Uh, Frank, uh, the big news this weekend is a story that you uh, broke, which was basically that uh, Jason Candle is at the top of the list as far as offensive coordinator possibilities for the Miami Hurricanes football program. Now, this is a guy who is a head coach currently at Toledo. He's basically a Toledo guy. He kind of came up through the ranks at Toledo. Um, Actually just signed a new deal as well. So a lot of people are speculating as to why he's being, um, you know, he's a top-level candidate here. So, uh, Frank, uh, what do you know about the situation and, and what should we expect? Well, they've been in negotiations this week. The The extension that he got, he's actually getting paid less than he was in his previous contract. So he sacrificed some some money on this extension for some longevity on this new extension. But he was in contention for this job last year, something that he did consider, right? And I think Jason Candle is a guy that wants to move up in the ranks. He's 43 years old. He's been at Toledo for an extended period of time. He's been the head coach there uh, since the end of the 2015 season, uh, replacing Matt Campbell, who ended up moving on to Iowa State. Right? He, he's coached with some really good coaches during his time. Nick Sirianni uh, was a guy that was a guy that moved from Mountain Union onto you know Grander Packers, the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. This is the same you know type of tree where he comes from. Right. So he, he has dreams of grandeur. Every college coach does. And as much as people want to say being a head coach is more important than money, money is definitely a priority to where you work in this world. And if he's able to make close to two million dollars a year working for the University of Miami, that's something that he is going to consider. Now, there's no guarantee that he's going to take this job. But the fact that there's been extensive conversations and rumors that he's been in South Florida at the end of this week is it, it makes me feel like it's pretty much set in stone that he's going to end up being that guy. I know he, he runs the type of scheme Mario wants. There's a really good balance to what he brings to his offense. Uh, he's done a really good job in recruiting. He's done well in the portal. Uh, we've seen him go after uh, RJ Delancey, who was a Miami Northwestern defensive back, pulled him out of Nebraska. Uh, he, he's had some NFL players like Kareem Hunt, Deontay Johnson, who plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, one of the better wide receivers in the NFL. So he's got a pedigree offensively. It's just he's in the MAC, right? We know the MAC on every year to ba- year to year basis can change, but overall, he's one of the better offensive minds in college football, and he does exactly what Mario wants him to do. It would bring uh, somebody that can communicate with the rest of the staff in a way that Josh Gaddis really didn't do well when he was here. I hear you. I hear you, and I am convinced of that you know maybe this could be the guy but you know i i know a lot of miami hurricanes fans aren't <laughs> when they hear uh, a name like jason candle they're like 
you know, who's that? It's not the big splash hire, you know, it's not the Ken Dorsey. It's not the, you know, James Coley or, or, or even a Marcus Arroyo who we thought would be in line for this type of job, given his uh, relationship with coach Cristobal. So the, the questions that come up for me is like, can he recruit South Florida? Can he recruit Florida period? You know? Um, and Toledo, like holy Toledo, like it, it's, it's in the Mac, you know, <laughs> like, come on, man. Like Miami destroyed this team a couple of years, consecutive years uh, ago. Uh, I believe it was under Al Golden, if I'm not mistaken. I was actually, but, it was actually under Mark Rick, 2017 and 2018. Okay. Um, okay. And Miami, okay. Miami destroyed him, but they destroyed him defensively. Right. Yeah. This team scored 24 and 30 points against the Miami Hurricanes with a lot lesser talent. And, and to answer the question on if he can recruit South Florida, he made South Florida a priority. He hired Kevin Beard, who's a South Florida guy. He coached at the University of Miami. He would be an interesting candidate for the wide receivers coach position. I know you and I will probably talk about that, but he's somebody that can recruit. He's a head coach. He knows what goes into recruiting a whole entire offense and not just a single position group that a lot of candidates that Miami, you know, might be looking at would probably be right. I know Scott Frost is a name. Everybody brings up there are background issues there that are not going to allow that to happen. Um, that's why he's not getting a job anywhere. Cliff Kingsbury's not taking this job, right? It, Marcus Arroyo, people talking about Marcus Arroyo over Jason Candle. Jason Candle is the better option of of him and Marcus Royal. Marcus Royal got fired from his, you know, mid-major group of five type job comparative to Jason Candle, who's had a, a consistent winning pedigree during his time. UNLV though, UNLV, uh, you know, not exactly a fertile ground compared to Ohio as far as recruiting. So I think kind of kind of tough a tough of a comparison there to compare him getting fired from UNLV, which has never won anything in football. The last time they won something was, you know, in basketball <laughs> back in those days. Um, you know, but football, you know, it's kind of hard to compare. But, you know, go ahead. But they have grandmama. They had grandmama yeah. on the team, right? Yeah. Larry Johnson. I thought you didn't know about basketball, but look at you, man. <laughs> look at you. They had grandmama in those days. They sure did. Good old Larry Johnson. But, so, uh, but, yeah. I but listen, I get what you're saying with Marcus Arroyo. The relationship is there. We know he's run a power five offense in the past. With Jason Candle, there is no pedigree of him being able to say, I ran a power five offense. I've recruited at a power five level. He was a Mountain Union coach that went to Toledo, stayed at Toledo, and has been nowhere else. Right? He played at Mountain Union immediately after his playing career, went into coaching at Mountain Union. But he's won everywhere he's been. And I think there's an attitude there is a mentality that goes into being part of winning programs that needs to be implemented into this program and i think that mario cristobal needs a guy that he can trust in his offense to get the job done and it's obvious that jason candle's been a guy for two years now that it, he is somebody that mario trusts he, he was the number one guy on the board last year before it went down to tommy reese and josh gaddis right and, and now we're, we're seeing it happen once again they're getting into deeper, deeper discussions. There haven't really been any viable candidates that have come up in discussion amongst anybody, right? We're talking about Doug Nussmeyer, like 
uh, quarterback coach for the Cowboys who nobody wants. All right, Marcus Royal. There hasn't really been any any movement on him getting an interview for the job. It's just really speculation on if Mario would just go after somebody that he knows because we know familiarity is something that's important to him with guys like Alex Maribel, Joe Salavea, Frank Ponce. So I could see those being fits, but I I just like the Jason Candle thing just because it's not the sexy hire, right? So the expectations aren't going to be like crazy at at first. There's going to be a – there's going to be kind of that honeymoon period of, of feeling out who Jason Candle is. But I like the balance that he brings to his offense. He's had NFL quarterbacks in the past at Toledo. Logan Woodside put up huge numbers at Toledo along with Kareem Hunt. So they had a 4,000-yard passer with a 1,400-yard back, right? They've had every year he's had a running back rush for double-digit touchdowns. Every year he's had a quarterback throw for either 3,000 yards or over 300 yards per game. There's there's production to be had in this Jason Candle offense, and I think that Mario, with the type of personnel that he's bringing in, especially along the offensive line and at running back, he wants that balance. There isn't everybody wants a, a high octane spread offense of air raid concepts, doing all the things that needs to be done to to throw for forty five hundred yards and have a quarterback yeah. in contention for a for for Damn a Heisman. Right. But right. you don't have a quarterback. Or a receiver room that is conducive to that happening. So what is the strength of this team right now? The trenches, the, the newly developing trenches. You bring in Javion Cohen. You bring in Matt Lee. Right? You, you, have Zay, you have Zion come back. Right? You bring in three blue-chip offensive linemen recruits in the 2023 class. Two of them as the top two rated, two out of three rated offensive linemen in the country. Right. So everything is is built around the run game, in my opinion, right now. Mark Fletcher, you and I have seen in person, is in the conversation or should be for the top running back in the country. Just based on size, speed, his he has progressed as a receiver. Chris Johnson, we've seen that explosive skill set against Central, Shaman Amadonna, St. Thomas Aquinas, right? Ely, who is a top 100 team in the country this year at one point. He, he's done it time and time again as an explosive receiver and running back for Dillard High School, who played a very, very competitive schedule this year. So I think the two best the two best options are to run the football. And that doesn't even include Henry Parrish or Javante Citizen. You have upwards of four guys that could be yep. impact college running backs at the University of Miami. We don't know what Tyler Van Dyke is right now. We've seen highs. We've seen real low lows. We don't know what Jakari Brown is yet. And it might be better for Jakari Brown to be in a Jason Candle offense where he doesn't have to be the whole show. So I, I, I love I love this potential hire. I think it's a good fit. I like that Mario is going after a guy that he is on and not who the fans want. And and yeah. for me, that's that's why I'm I'm good with it. I mean, it's gonna be fun, man. It's gonna be fun to kind of see all of this happen because just like you said, it's not a sexy hire, it's more like you know, this is like maybe a seven, not a, not an eight or a nine. Like if, if this is the one you marry. This is the one you right, marry. Right. This isn't the one you date. Yeah, this is the this is like the seven with the great personality. She's got a great career. You know, she she's got ambition, that type of thing. But she's not gonna win any any runway model, probably. Uh, there we go. You know, awards type of thing. <laughs> it's but, like the, uh, it's a crazy hot matrix. It's a crazy hot matrix, right? If you get a ten, right, 
you're probably going to get a 10 crazy, right? But if you hit that seven, you might get like that three to five range crazy. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want three to five range. I want three to five range crazy. I don't want, I don't want eight to 10 crazy, right? Cause then eight to 10 crazy is Josh Gaddis, right? Where we're looking at games where we don't score touchdowns, right? He, he was a Broyles award winner, right? He coached right. Alabama. He coached, he recruited South Florida really well. He got Jerry Judy. He was part of uh, the recruitment of a number of five-star receivers. Then he went to Michigan, grabbed a bunch of big-time recruits, was the offensive coordinator, went to the college football playoff. That resume was a sexy hire, and look yeah. how that worked. So for me, I'd rather Mario get the guy that he wants because Gaddis was not the original number one option for him. He took him because he felt like it was going to help him win the press conference, in my opinion, and I felt like he was the Third option amongst those, you know, the Tommy Reese's, the Jason Candles. And it didn't work out. I want Mario to get his number one guy. If you have to make him the highest paid offense coordinator in college football, you do just that. Mm. And on top of that, you need leadership on this team outside of Mario Cristobal. Kevin Steele is an older guy right now. Kevin Steele is an older guy right now. He, we, we know what he's going to bring to the table. You have a lot of dysfunction on the staff right now. What would be the biggest addition to the staff? Bring in a second head coach. Bring in another guy who can take some of that responsibility off Mario's plate. Put a head coach into that offensive room so he can be the guy that communicates and commands that room amongst the Alex Maribals, the Kevin Smiths, whoever you bring in as a wide receivers coach and potentially quarterbacks coach. Because it looks like Jason Candle – Right, could be end up being in that Josh Gaddis role where he's coaching the receivers and Pop Cooney ends up helping as an analyst, and then you just bring in a quarterback coach. So, like, if you can bring in a James Coley or somebody along those lines, uh, I think that's a benefit. I think it's a benefit to have a guy with the experience of of commanding a locker room and and also helping lead a program. I sure hope you're right, Frank, because. If you're not, you know, I'm going to be that I'm going to be that pessimistic hurricane fan, because if you're not potentially you've eaten maybe three huge contracts in the past couple of years. If, you know, say it doesn't work out and you have to fire uh, Jason Candle after one year, just like uh, you did Josh Gaddis, then you've eaten basically three con uh, contracts if you count uh, Manny Diaz as well, you know, so. You can't really afford to miss right here. You cannot afford to miss because I, I think Coach Cristobal is, is is clearly not on the hot seat right now. But if he's got a ten year is, contract, he's got a ten year contract. I, sorry, I don't think he can be on the hot seat until like five is, or six years in. If this is a miss, trust me, he he is he is on the hot seat. If this is another five and seven season, he's going to be on the hot seat. I mean, it may not be realistic from a financial standpoint, but he'd definitely be on the virtual hot seat. Let, let's just say that because you just can't miss. You can't miss two years in a row on, on an offensive coordinator. Usually you don't fire an offensive coordinator after year one, especially when you bring in the guy. If, if this wasn't your guy that you brought in, then, I, okay, I understand. You gave him a chance one year and it, it didn't work not work out. But this this guy you brought in, this was your boy from Alabama. And now you're bringing your boy uh, from Toledo and hoping that he 
is the answer. I tell you what, the other thing is that this is another, this is not a high powered offense we're, we're going to see, just like you said, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be three yards in a cloud of dust, which is not exciting football these days. It's not exciting for the fans. And when that doesn't work, it falls flat, literally, right? If, if this offensive line is not as good as we think, and, and if this offensive line goes through injuries again, because they're, they're not deep, they're not deep because you lost Jason camp, um, John Campbell, and you lost uh, Ja'Kai Clark. So these those are two players who started for you last year, and then you lost DJ Scape uh, to graduation. So this is not a deep group, um, I would say, unless these younger uh, players like uh, like a Matthew McCoy really pops. Like it, that that's your only chance. Like a Matthew McCoy really pops, or. Uh, like a low, uh, like a Lawrence Seymour really kind of takes that next step. Then you you legitimately have a deep offensive line, but this team is just another few injury injuries away from being not good again. Even if the scheme is is, is great, or even if um you know this guy Candle lights a fire <laughs> literally on this on this team, uh, so. I'm still hesitant. I'm still a little, you know, reluctant to be all excited about it. Uh, based on what you said, I'm, I'm kind of sold that he could be the guy. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, spring is not a very good indicator to me of what the team will actually look like against other football teams. I think um, spring is more of an indicator of, Oh, so which young guys are really taking the next step? Are we going to see a Cyrus Moss take the next step? You know, um, th those type of guys. Are we going to see Nigel Lee Kelly take another big step? You know, everything um, I've heard on Nigel Lee too. Everything I've heard on Nigel Lee is he's going to be in contention for a starting job this year. That Jafari, that Jafari Harvey needs to be watching his back because <laughs> Nigel Lee, Nigel Lee Kelly is coming. Nigel Lee yeah. Kelly is coming, and you know he he wants it. He wants it. And the crazy thing about it is he's going to be 18 years old this upcoming season. He's going to be his second year of college football, and he's going to be 18 years old. He is just coming into his own. He, it, I try to tell people if Nigel Lee Kelly came back for one more season of high school football, he's arguably in the conversation for the number one defensive end in the country. That's how talented Nigel Lee Kelly is, right? He was yeah. a 17-year-old freshman that was producing – in a three-way rotation, in a three-level rotation for the University of Miami last year. If there was one position group that was not an issue last year, it was the defensive line. They did an right. excellent job from the interior all the way to the outside guys rushing the passer. And we saw yeah. a progression from what Manny Diaz did, the guys just rushing upfield, to getting sack production without sacrificing gap integrity. So I, I yeah. think Kevin Steele's – I think Kevin Steele did a good job. I think there's going to be a lot of those guys that you talked about uh, young players that Mario Cristobal recruited in 2022 that are going to bounce bounce back this year and really have big seasons. I think we're going to see even, an even bigger jump for Wesley Besaint. And then Absolutely. I kind of I kind of disagree with you on the depth, though, man. I think a lot of the places that they that they had issues with depth last year, they're not going to have those same issues, right? I think if there's issues, I think if there's injury issues, I ever so. wide receiver is the only position that I think you would still might have an issue. Right, you still might have an issue. 
But with what Jason Candle is bringing in on offense, I don't think the offense is as reliant on receivers as it was in the last offense. I, I know everybody was mad that it was a run-centric offense under Gattis, but it was all timing routes. It was it was full it was full field read. That means you have to have receivers that are able to do those type of things. I don't think it's going to be like that under Jason Campbell. I think it's going to be simplifying things through a play action passing attack. That's going to make things easier for Tyler Van Dyke once again. And I think that one of the things that Mario Cristobal is going to learn from in his first year is making sure that his offensive coordinator has a relationship with Tyler Van Dyke throughout the year and not just when things go wrong. So that that's something that I think is going to be fixed very early on. I think that the depth at running back is going to be huge. I think Chris Johnson is going to add an element as a receiver as well to help with that depth. I think that this offensive line is deep. When you, when you have upwards of eight guys that are going to be in contention for starting jobs, including freshmen, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. There's guys on this team that showed that they can be depth pieces in case of injury, right? Lawrence Seymour is a guy you mentioned. Mario Cristobal spoke about him specifically at times, saying that he was a guy that busted his butt, got in position despite not being what they necessarily want from a physical standpoint, right? You, you bring in Jonathan Dennis. From Oregon, he's another guy that's going to help. Logan Sagapolo is another guy who's going to help for interior depth. You have depth at offensive tackle. It's not this year where if Zion Nelson is not the guy, you're in trouble. You got Samson Lola right behind him or Francis Mawagoa right behind him, right? Javion Cohen can play pretty much any position along the offensive line. I I love what this offensive line is going to look like next year. I have total faith that Mario Cristobal and Alex Maribel are going to have that side of the offense on point throughout the entire year, regardless of injury or anything else. Defensive back scares me a little bit. You lose five safeties. I think they're high on Caleb Spencer. I think the, the transfer from the Roberts kid from Iowa is going to help in a variety of roles. He's going to be that guy yeah. that's going to, was supposed to fill that role that Al Blades was supposed to play this year. I, I think this team is well in position to have a floor of eight wins. I don't think we're going to see a five and seven type season. I'm not predicting 10 wins or anything along those lines like we did last year where we were in that honeymoon phase with Mario. But yeah. I think it's good enough. I think it's good enough. And I think that they're, they're, Mario is fixing a lot of the issues in this program that he saw in the first year. And I think he deserves credit for that. He deserves credit for seeing issues that happened and going out and addressing those issues getting rid of people that he didn't sure. think were like that because people want to talk about Frank Ponce being brought in on a homeboy role. Right. But from everything I'm hearing is that Mario told him, listen, man, you're not in a position to be calling plays here at the university of Miami. That if you have another, if you have another opportunity somewhere else, go take that opportunity because it won't be here at the university of Miami based on what we saw last season. And there was that, yeah. from what I heard, there was that heart to heart conversation between Mario and Frank Ponce, which I have to give huge kudos to. That's a guy who he came up through the ranks with, was with him at FIU. They've known each other from their days in South Florida. Mario's doing the things necessary to get this thing right. People have to have patience. And I know we are the least patient fan base in all of college football, in my opinion. And <laughs> and it's and it's not going to happen anytime soon. And Mario has said that it's going to be a process. It's going to be ugly in the first year, and it might hurt a little bit in the second year. But by the time things get right and there is a balance in this program, 
people are going to worry about the Miami Hurricanes once again. Okay. Look at look at Frank. Frank is, is totally positive, totally in on the Miami Hurricanes. I love it. I love it. Uh Jason Jason Candle got you fired up. Got you know me fired up. Got me fired up. I love good coaching. I love you know me. I love good coaching. And I love when somebody is able to bring an aspect to this program that hasn't been around in a long time. I think Rhett Lashley had a little bit of that, and we're starting to see that with what he's doing at SMU. A guy that can command the room, a guy that can come in and demand the respect of his players. And I think Jason Candle is that type of guy. If every time you see somebody talk on Twitter about Jason Candle that's a former player or, or you see how his guys interact with him at Toledo, they adore this guy. This guy got Gatorade back twice last year, right? He won the Mac. He, he's he's a good coach. Do I think that he's Nick Saban? No, that's not what I'm saying, right? I'm I'm not saying You're that not he's saying the new. That. Yeah, I'm not saying he's I'm not saying he's Andy Reid with offensive play calling or something along those lines. But I think that this team needs they need a seven. They need a seven to get back into the game. You need that rebound, and I think that Jason Candle will be a guy that can come in for two to three years the same way Rhett Lashley came in and was supposed to be a two to three year option and bounced to another head coaching role. And and that would be a good fit. That would be a good fit. And you bring in a guy, maybe like a James Coley, right. Who can step into that role immediately after with the same scheme, same verbiage and keep things pumping. So he's cut. Let, let's just, let's just say he is um, going to come in uh, as a, as an offensive coordinator. What do you do about these other position groups, though? Uh, is he going to be like a the OC wide receivers coach, just like Josh Gaddis was? Is he going to be an offensive coordinator of QBs coach? Do you bring in another QBs coach? Do you bring in another wide receivers coach? Does this open up uh, a chance for Kevin Beard to come back to South Florida as a wide receivers coach? Do you plug him into that position? Where do you see these other position coaching uh, opportunities uh, playing out with just say, you know, John Candle comes through and lights our fire? I'm going to keep coming with those type of ones, by the way. <laughs> there we go. There we go. A little funny. We're, we're funny today, but I think that he, I don't think they bring in a wide receiver coach. I know Miami fans want to want to get excited about potentially Kevin Beard coming back, uh, you know, homegrown type guy who was here before. He's not a he's pretty good recruiter. Uh, he's known in South Florida as one of those guys that's very well respected amongst coaches. But I still think that Jason Candle is going to fit that Gaddis role where he's going to be the play caller, but he's going to coach the receivers. I think that they're going to have to bring in a younger quarterback coach. A guy that I would love for them to bring in would be like a Ryan Williams, who's worked with quarterbacks in the University of Georgia, Stetson Bennett, guys like that. You know, it would be a fit. It would be a fit. He's another former homegrown guy that is looking for that opportunity, he could be that guy. Or Toledo, the Toledo quarterback coach. He's another guy that has it. He's under candle. He knows what he wants to do. He's worked with quarterbacks. They've had success with quarterbacks, like I said. Every year it's a 3,000-yard quarterback or a guy, or they throw for 3,000 yards as a team with two, two different quarterbacks, or they throw for 300 yards per game and what they did in the COVID season. So I, I think that there's a few different options there. I don't think the quarterback position, quarterback coach position is going to make or break what this offense does. I think that the communication between the coaches is going to be the most important. It certainly did break us last season, though, right? Like, But I think it would have worked better. A quarterback's coach, I mean, 
those quarterbacks look broken. And I think that's kind of the main concern going into the season. Yeah, you've got this guy who's kind of focused on ground and pound, but are they going to elevate the level of play of these quarterbacks, which was absolutely abysmal last season? Yeah, well, just based on his track record, he's done an excellent job with quarterbacks. Um, You know, just candle it. You can only go based on what somebody's done, right? And, And I think a huge reason why the quarterbacks looked the way they did last year was because of this dysfunction in the offensive room. When you got a guy who can't come in and even talk to his coaches, that probably means that he can't come into the position group rooms and come talk to the players. There just wasn't that connection. We saw Josh Gaddis a lot last year after games. He was out of it. He was like, he didn't know. He would he would say at times, right? I don't know what to do. I don't know right. what to do. He just it, it was it was a lost it was a lost cause. Not saying Josh Gaddis isn't a good coach. I think Josh Gaddis is going to go somewhere else and do really well. I agree. But but there's a there's an issue of communication that was going on at the University of Miami that I think was extending to the quarterbacks. And if you can bring in a guy that can have his players buy in, especially at the quarterback position, the same way TVD did with Rhett Lashley, because they were they were at the they were you know hip to hip. With each other, right? They were in step, lock and step with each other. Not just because Rhett Lassie was a quarterback coach, because those players bought in to what he did. The receivers bought into what he did, right? That everybody, you you saw a different Xavier Estrepo last year from an enthusiasm standpoint under Rhett Lashley than you did under Josh Gaddis. And Josh Gaddis is coaching the receivers, so even the receivers looked bad last year. So. I think if you bring in a guy right. who can help develop the position group room, whether, whatever he's coaching, and also bring in a guy that that communication is there, then you're going to be good. All right. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be a long few months until that first game against Miami of Ohio, Miami versus Miami, which I think is very interesting just in itself because it's going to be a mirror of what what this Hurricanes team would would potentially uh, be. Um, uh, the other thing I want to talk about is just this uh, weekend. Uh, it, it was a great um, weekend when it comes to um, seven-on-seven uh, football, where uh, Football Hotbed put on another great tournament. Uh, a lot of great players from that tournament. And um, the usual is that um, South Florida Express wins. It's becoming the South Florida Invitational, uh, this uh, this particular tournament. The fourth straight year, South Florida Express wins this tournament. Um, we we did post a, a list of, of primetime players from that tournament. You can see that on canescounty.com. Which, uh, which players are really kind of stood out to you um, the most from this tournament? The easy name to mention, Jeremiah Smith. What a freak of all freaks. Six foot four, did everything that he wanted to this weekend, made things happen um, in short routes, vertical routes. He did it all. Um, and, and honestly, man, I, I think that he's overall the best player in South Florida and the country. He he was just dominant. He was dominant. A couple other guys you can mention, Jaden Glazer is a guy that we talk about constantly over the course of how this seven on seven season has gone. Uh, he's, he's been 
he's been a guy that I don't think many expected to take over the South Florida Express offense, and he did just that. He's been accurate. He's showed zip on the ball. He's he's, he's really just been a, a Division One quarterback prospect from how he's been playing. And, and I love his game. I think he's done really well. Air Nolan, this is the first time you and I really got a chance to see him in person. You know, we've watched a lot of film on him from his time at Langston Hughes, but he looked good. No practice time with this team. Comes down here yeah. this weekend and immediately just slots in with Jaden Glazer, and that offense was pumping. They were blowing teams out. The offense was moving really well. Even when the defense struggled, they were boom, 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 score, score, score. And I know it's easy to throw to Josiah Trader and Jeremiah Smith and Chance Robinson and all these guys, right, the farmer kid from Coco. But overall, the quarterback has to play well. And we saw other teams in that tournament, right, quarterback play was the detriment of what they did. And those two quarterbacks came out and did what they needed to do. Um, a couple other guys that I really like, C.J. Ewald. C.J. Ewald broke on a pick uh, in, like, in what seemed like a cover two coverage, um, and he looked really good at corner. Typically, he plays safety in seven-on-seven, seven, but it was different this weekend. They really gave him a chance to shine in his, in his Friday night home, and he did what he was supposed to do as a borderline five-star prospect, and that was be a ball hawk. He had several PBUs, including that really nice INT. He really should have had two or three interceptions on the day. So his length as just a sophomore, his ball skills, I think he's only going to get better, and I think Miami's going to be going after him really hard, um, even you know, despite his commitment to Michigan. Yeah, I like Jaden Glasser as well. Um, he, he's a big kid, too. He's, he's about 6'2", 200 pounds. Uh, and he can move, too, if you see his tape. So I really liked him, one of the more underrated quarterbacks in uh, in the country. I mean, I, I would say not just in the state of Florida. He is a guy that is going to be vaulting up recruiting boards, um, I, I would say, in the next couple of uh, months. And seven on seven, let, let's be honest, it's all about the quarterback, really. You know, it's really – how good a team is, is really how great the quarterback play is. Um, for the most part, these receivers are able to, you know, get open for the most part and um, and catch the football. I mean, you may have certain, uh, some DBs as well that will, you know, be locked down. Like for me, the lockdown guy of, of, of the weekend for me was Charles Lester. Charles Bingo. Lester is 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 the real deal it's the first time really i really got a chance to really kind of watch him exclusively he is the real deal um I, miami they're they're, they're kind of behind the eight ball as far as the race is concerned for him uh it seems like florida is, is really kind of you know they're they're, they're ahead of miami uh I mean, florida state now, too yeah, he's a, he announced the top five, and Miami's not in it. That's basically all you really need to know. <laughs> and it, it's 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 a shame because he was by far to me the lockdown corner of of the tournament. So he was really really impressive uh, to me. And as you said, Aaron Nolan, uh, really impressive kid. I had a chance to talk to him. Uh, he really likes Miami, though. He really is interested in Miami. I think Miami legitimately has a chance this 2024 class seems like it's shaping up to be the, the class of the quarterback because there's so many 
outstanding 2024 quarterbacks. And a lot of them Miami is has some kind of relationship with, uh, you know, whether it be uh, Saiyan, who's committed to Alabama, Michael Van Buren, uh, Nolan, uh, Glasser is obviously very interested in coming back home uh, to, to play for Miami. So there's going to be a lot of options definitely for this 2024 class. And, and just, just as you said, I mean, uh, South Florida Express has an embarrassment of riches and you named kind of the, the main guys. And one of the guys who's probably going to make a lot of noise this season as well as Terrell short. I mean, he is literally uh short, <laughs> but he is a blazer uh, as far as speed is concerned. And uh, just like you said in your story, he's very similar to a Katarus Hicks who, who got a, uh, you know, who signed with Louisville Power 5 program. So he could potentially be that type of guy. Um, he, uh, last year, South Florida Express kind of had that player in Santana Fleming. Santana Fleming is kind of like more of the guy who's running underneath routes and coming across the middle. Uh, you know, just to kind of gain yards and first downs and stuff like that and can beat you deep as well. So I think he kind of fits into that Santana Fleming role who signed with Western Carolina and who was also at the UA uh, Under Armour All-American game. So uh, that those, those are some of the players that I saw that you didn't mention that, that kind of really jumped out to me. Uh, Lester's definitely the real deal. Um, I like Xavion Brown as, as well, uh, the kid from modern day. He's also interested in Miami, but a lot of other schools are are, are in contention for him as well. That's it. Yeah, USC's USC's going to be the team to beat there. That, that's just that connection to matter day. It's going to make it yeah. tough. I think that Miami's going to have a shot there. And I think that if you're comparing Lester and Brown, Brown is the more technically – ready player to jump in day one and play corner. I think that Lester, he's a big ass kid, right? Lester, people have to understand, Lester is a legit 6'2", 185 pound, right? How we talk about Jeremiah Smith being a absolute unicorn from a size perspective, the same thing can be said about Charles Lester. He could easily finish high school as a 6'3", 200 pound kid. That means that safety could probably be within his future. Uh, a guy like a Jalen Ramsey, how Jalen Ramsey has transitioned from corner to just an, a, a Minka Fitzpatrick type role is where I could see a Charles Lester playing. If you want him to play corner, he can play corner. But if you want that guy in the action constantly, if you go watch his tape, he is smacking people too. He's not just your typical cover corner. Brown yeah. to me is your typical cover corner. Technically sound, really good hips, elite footwork, hand placement, at the line of scrimmage is really, really good, uh, especially for a kid who's still a junior in high school. He is six foot one, 175, 180 pounds as well. I don't see the same physical projection as Charles Lester, but that kid, that kid is a long corner that fits the mold of the Damari Browns of the world, right? Yeah. If you're trying to get bigger at defensive back and longer and more technically sound, something that we really haven't seen. Tyreek Stevenson, we know, is a really good athlete. Rumored to run a 4-3-40 at the combine coming up. But he wasn't a technically sound guy. He wasn't a traditional corner by trade. This kid is a corner by trade. He is what you want as a guy that he might not get six, seven picks, but he's going to be a guy that has a lot of pass breakups and he's in the right position a whole lot of the time. 
And I think Miami actually has a better shot than you may think. Um, he does not want to stay home from what I heard, from what I gathered from him. He doesn't, he kind of, you know, LA kids are very similar to Miami kids. Uh, they kind of want to get out and branch out and, and go someplace different and, and always have the place of home to kind of come back to. He's got family in the area. So, I think it, it, it could be a, a really good fit. And, he, and he's Haitian, too. I don't think a lot of people even know that. But, yeah, <laughs> he's Haitian, too. Of course, you know, Miami's got a strong Haitian population down here. Um, so I think Miami probably has a better shot than than people may think just because he wants to be in a different environment. So uh, we'll see how all of that kind of plays out. Uh, but those were definitely, I, I think, all of the top top guys. Uh, go to canescounty.com to see our list of the top players. One more last thing before I get out of here, because you kind of mentioned it really quickly here, and I was, I was wondering, um, you know, if we should talk about it. And it's Tyreek Stevenson, man. Tyreek Stevenson showing out at the Senior Bowl. Uh, practice uh, really technically sound when, when you saw him in in, in one on ones. Uh, we still have the combine to go, so he's still tra training for that. I think a lot of what a lot of people will ask be like, why didn't he do that for Miami? Or like, why was he giving up 50 yard bombs in that middle Tennessee state game. I think that's what people will ask. Like, why is it that a player can play at Miami, um, be average and then go to the NFL and excel? Um, which it seems like that is probably what is going to happen with Tyreek Stevenson, whether he plays cornerback or safety. Um, I really kind of believe that based on what we've seen, at the senior bowl practice. What do you what do you attest to that? What do you think he'll uh where do you think he'll fall? Um I personally think he he's gonna be like a like a third round pick. I, I, I think that's where he'll he'll probably fall. I don't think he'll fall any later than that. Possibly he could be maybe a first rounder. Who knows if he runs a blazing you know 40 time definitely a possibility and um but I think he if if, if you ask me uh, his his floor maybe a, a third rounder high is a is a first so I think he falls probably in the middle at second round. I totally agree with you. I think he's a second round pick. That's just based on the. Uh, that's me thinking. Say he runs a four four forty at the combine, which he probably will. Say he does well under the bench. He's a bigger corner. I think he does well from a strength test perspective. He he does a good job with his, you know, just athletic traits, right? Like he's going to run the three cone. Well, he's going to run a shuttle. Well, like all those things he's going to do well. So I, I don't think there's going to be any red flags on that. I want to see how he does in, I want to see how he does in just the cornerback drills, right? Where they put him through the, the position drills. I, that's going to be the big test to me. I think if he kills that right on top of having a really strong senior bowl week, he could go end of first round. You know, you spoke to Juwan Dallas. Juwan Dallas, you know, just for yeah. some background, is my best friend. That's 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 my guy, right? You know, we do podcasts together and stuff, and and he's raved about Tyreek. He said that just physically he is everything that you want for a defensive back. 
he thinks that probably he'll end up playing nickel at the next level. If but he can play corner, he can play safety if you want him to. And I think everybody in the NFL probably projects him out as a big athletic nickel that can you know cover up slots and then make plays in the run game. Um, and I think that's why he could he's he's got such a range because it's going to depend on scheme on really where he goes and who falls in love with him. But I would not be surprised to see a team like the Cowboys, right, get enamored by him at the end of the first round when they need some corner help. You want somebody on the outside that's big and athletic along with Trayvon Diggs, right, who doesn't have to be the man all the time, which I think there were times at the University of Miami where he kind of got thrusted in there as you got to be that number one guy. You got to be the man. You came from Georgia. Right, you're you. We promise you that you're going to be a punt returner. You're you're going to be an outside corner, even though you've never really played it. And there really wasn't that ability to have that adjustment period to the position, just because the expectations were so high. He was coming back home. He was a he, he was a you know in the national championship game at Georgia. He was starting as a freshman. Yeah, I I, I just don't think he really got a chance. And I think that's the problem with a lot of guys that come to the University of Miami. The expectations are so high, and they're thrust in right away thrust in right away without really getting a chance to acclimate and, and there's a lot of dysfunction on this coaching staff on a year-to-year basis right like could we be talking about a change in defensive back coach position next year absolutely that is not outside the realm of possibility right so yeah. you can't blame it all on the kids sometimes the development has to come from the coaches and i know that the yeah. kids have to have to put in the work and they have to take in the coaching but a lot of the times our coaches are not doing what need, you know, the necessary things to get those guys to that next level. So um, I'm happy to see him succeeding in this offseason. I'm excited to see what he does in the combine. I think he, I think he slots in probably second round. Yeah, me too. I, I'm very excited to see Tyreek. I mean, Tyreek is a kid that I've been covering since you know since he was a little kid. Um, you know, he's always at football hop at tournaments, uh, which is, which is a company I used to work for. I mean. At times, he was the most dynamic athlete in all of South Florida, which is saying a lot. So really excited for him and his career, and we'll see where he ends up. Um, But that's going to wrap it up for the Storm Tracker podcast. Once again, I'm Marcus Benjamin. He's Frank Tucker representing the crib, South Florida, bringing you all kinds of news from South Florida and recruiting. And... Make sure you follow us on this YouTube channel, Storm Tracker Podcast, on all all uh, platforms that you get your podcast, as well as follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until the next episode.